Gratitude. Gratitude is a word that is used to describe many practices. And gratitude is only one of the areas of focus of the gratitude practices that there are in modern meditation. There's a thing that I teach on the courses, which is known as the three good things. If I've got 10 or 12 people on the course, invariably one person's life becomes changed completely by doing this practice every day for six weeks. And then many people continue the practice. When I first started teaching, this was new. Now what happens is, if I mention it, often there's somebody that's already done it. Sometimes there's two or three, and some of them do it all the time. And it operates at a whole lot of different levels. So the practice consists of, each day, writing down three new things to feel grateful for or appreciative of. And, you know, if you skip a day, you just write down six the following day. And it's unfortunate to watch what happens. First, first and foremost, there is a resistance to the whole concept of the word, of, word gratitude. It's, it's something that I think was part of our culture and we've got lost in a whole lot of ways and gratitude is one of them. And it is seen as a religious concept that you, I mean, gratitude, who are you grateful to? It, it must be that there's a divine being, so therefore if you don't believe in that, then it doesn't apply to you. And so it goes in the bin and it gets removed from education. I assume at some point it was part of education when education wasn't entirely secular. And so because of that, it's, it's, it's viewed with a lot of suspicion along with various other stock phrases of the self-help genre that have found their way in from the East, largely. Uh, so there's gratitude, there's acceptance, there's forgiveness. They're all fundamentally misunderstood. So to, to cater for the secular nature of my students and to help them to find a way of engaging in this practice, which is fundamentally life-changing for many people, I have to find a definition. So the definition that I use is this. What gratitude is, is the recognition that you are uniquely privileged to have an experience that you appreciate. So although many people have a mental block around gratitude, they don't have a mental block about appreciation because appreciation is part of our culture. Uh, and so, you know, if, it, if it's associated to being able to sell people things, then 
it, it, it becomes part of our culture quite deeply. So you've got things like art appreciation and so on. It's a recognition, it's a realisation that in, t- in the entire universe, I'm the only person that can see the sun shining on the floor the way it does with the patterns that are there. Right, so gratitude has to be relearned as a useful concept. And that definition of it being something that only I uniquely can appreciate is the most useful way of doing it. So only I in the entire universe can see the patterns on the floor, can see the light in the ceiling, can see the shade of, of light on the window in a building across the street. Only me. And one of the things to notice about gratitude is how free it is, which is probably one of the reasons why it's been binned because you can't really sell anybody gratitude. In fact, if you spend your life appreciating your otherwise neutral present moment and being grateful for what's in it, your personal needs become diminishingly small, which is actually the opposite of being able to sell people things. There was a really interesting little article appeared on a blog somewhere recently about how mindfulness was going to create an economic catastrophe because if these people go around meditating appreciating the present moment then they'll stop buying cars and holidays and new clothes and new kitchens and upgrading their houses and and of course that's the worst possible thing that can happen uh, and so uh, it, was, it was quite tongue-in-cheek and amusing. But it has a kernel of truth. So my job is, is twofold as a meditation teacher. Well, three, three things. Let's say there's three things, really. One is to get you doing a meditation practice of any sort. And the other is to get you doing a mindfulness meditation practice so that you return your attention to the present moment and you become connected to the present moment. You become aware of the sensory experience of now and it becomes something that is accessible for you. And then the the final thing is when you are here now, if we look at our neutral present moment experience, it's often perceived to be not good enough. So it's, it's very telling one of the key documents of our culture it is actually the Declaration of Independence uh, for the United States. And, and it speaks about liber- liberties. And, and I think it, it says basically life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And it's very interesting that they refer to it as pursuit. So it's as if happiness is something that is always not quite attainable. Something that you spend your life 
discovering what brings you happiness and what happiness is. So now the Dalai Lama is, is not limited in his observations and he goes around the world teaching about happiness and gratitude and the whole Buddhist metta bhavna which is the practice of loving kindness which is a better name for this than gratitude um, with respect to meditation and he defines happiness as gaining fulfilment from neutral experiences so fulfilment is not needing anything else so there you are sitting at a bus stop in the rain somebody says to you would you rather have this yacht in the Caribbean how much you feel you need the yacht is an indication of how unhappy you are I'm sorry but it's true because if you can gain fulfilment which is an absence of the need for more and and the Buddhists have have got a name for this it's craving I couldn't even begin to pronounce the word that they use there's a craving, there's a desire to change your present moment experience and possibly change your your own experience in your entire life and so on and so forth to bring you something which you don't have but if you're able to find that thing in the present moment then you'll probably take the yacht and donate it because what do you need it for? What experience is there that actually tops being fulfilled by a neutral experience? So this this is the hamster wheel of the 21st century. I'll be going into this in the Modern Mind series. But from the perspective of how we find this experience of fulfilment with neutral experiences in our day, then the way to do it is firstly to become aware of your inner and external experience. Notice all, all that arises in it, because without being aware of it, aware of your thoughts, aware of the patterns that, that they tend to construct aware of your emotions, aware of your responses, aware of your behaviour. There's no secret source, there's no magic wand to wave over it, but you need to become deeply aware of the present moment. And then when you become aware of the present moment, you're able to direct your awareness to the detail in it to the experience of it without the intervention of all of the thoughts and emotions and expectations and beliefs and desires and wants and needs that we're programmed into having. And I'm not suggesting there's an evil conspiracy. This is what happens when you get 8 billion human beings 
on a planet. They're all living in, most of them are living in cities of 10 million people. There's a kind of lowest common denominator effect where the, the least useful things become common to everybody and the most useful things get driven out of the way because when you're addressing an audience perfect example is the Sun newspaper. If you make the reading age as low as you possibly can, what that means is more people can read it. If more people can read it, then you have more sales. So there's a lowest common denominator effect there. And in return for that lowest common denominator, your audience grows. So whatever it is, whether it's teaching meditation or whether it's flogging super yachts, the, the more people you can get your message out to, the better for you. And so this is, this is how our lives have become saturated with concepts and beliefs and things and experiences that actually don't contribute towards our happiness because for one reason or another, they are more useful to the individuals and organisations that are promoting it. And then something like gratitude and self-compassion and awareness of your present moment experience just shrivels away and dies. It's actually a thing of great wonder that this is becoming something that people are more aware of. And I think that's a reaction to how our modern lives aren't working. There's a three-stage thing there. Get a practice. If you haven't got a practice, get a practice. If you're struggling to get a practice, speak to me. That's what I'm here for. Trial and error. That's how it works. Try something that doesn't work. You try something else that doesn't work. Try something else that doesn't work. And then, lo and behold, you've got a practice. And then you build on that. And from then on, it becomes easier. Second thing is do mindfulness meditation. Do the following the breath meditation, labelling the thoughts, counting the breaths, something similar, where your mind wanders, you come back to your present moment, mind wanders back to the present moment. That gets you here. And this today is about once you're here, it's pretty darn neutral. It's not good enough. How do I reconnect? to the present moment in a way that enables it to be fulfilling for me. So the, the way that I do that now, invariably at the moment, is to start off with what I call the meditation of no meditation, which is a way of connecting to our ancient mind. So we've got a modern mind. The modern mind is the list of things that's running through your head when you wake up in the morning. The ancient mind, it's connected to your environment. It's the thing that stops you walking out in front of a car. It's the thing that you manage, allows you to pick out your child's voice in a crowd. It's an incredibly sophisticated thing and it's running all the time. We want to connect to it. So the way to connect to it is listen for the next sound. 
and just wait for the next sound. So we're not trying to do anything, doesn't matter how busy the mind is. So your mind can be squawking away, you can be listening to me. While you're listening to me, you can still be listening for the next sound. If you do this often enough, it's a way of instantly connecting to the present moment. You're not doing anything with the next sound. Every so often you'll, you'll notice your modern mind operating, and what it will do is find a sound, and it will focus on that sound and focus everything else out. Because it lives in a world of perceived safety, you can give one thing in your experience almost your full attention without making yourself vulnerable. Now this fails really badly when you're driving along in a car looking at your mobile phone, right? There are a few other exceptions. But generally speaking, we can drift through our day focusing on one thing, focusing on another thing, focusing on a train of thoughts, for example, to the exclusion of everything else. Focusing on what's in our mobile phone. Focusing on... listening to somebody and ignoring all of the other sounds but the, the ancient mind ha doesn't have that luxury it's constantly processing every sound that comes into your awareness As new sounds arise, it wants to get there quickly. So in a way, it's like surfing a wave of sound. Just listening, just waiting, just listening for whatever the next sound is, wherever it happens to be. If there is no sound, you're waiting for the next one. At some point, a sound will arise.
So this is what your cat does all the time. Cats' minds don't wander. Constantly plugged in. Constantly listening for the next sound. cat owner you've had this experience the cat's sitting on your lap it's purring away if that was you you'd be in a dream world and then there's a noise and it's off your lap like lightning that might just be greeting someone at the door or it might think it's heard a mouse or another cat or something like that So it can be, you can be totally, totally relaxed and be listening for the next sound, just waiting for it. do is we'll move from this exercise very gently towards a meditation. So first of all we'll do the meditation of no meditation for the breath, which is, isn't about the breath, it's about the movement of the belly, the belly rising and falling. These are the two practices that Mingyur Rinpoche teaches everywhere he goes in the world. Listening and noticing the tiny movement of the belly. Noticing the belly rising and falling. Just like the meditation of no meditation for sound, this movement of the belly, something's happening all the time. And your body mind, your subconscious is managing it for you. Transferring oxygen and CO2, keeping it at the optimum level. And there's this constant movement of the belly rising and falling. 
That's all we're noticing, just that movement. If you want, if your mind is busy and you find this in a little slice, slightest bit unsatisfactory, which is the case for 15% of people, you can soften the experience by labelling or noting the experience. So labelling or noting is when we say some words in our mind to acknowledge anything that's happened in, in our environment or in our inner experience. And the words we use, we're noticing the belly rising and falling. As we breathe in, we say in our mind, rising. And as the belly falls, we say in our mind, falling. rising, falling. Remember the body gets to choose how long you breathe in for, how quickly you breathe. You just relax and let it do its thing and you're just noticing the movement. And you're repeating the mantra in your head, the simplest mantra there is. Rising, falling. It doesn't matter if the mind's busy, it doesn't matter if the mind wanders. There's no instructions. Just happening throughout all the time that we're doing this meditation and we're aware of it. Rising, falling.
rising, falling. So we'll move into a meditation. So if you're sitting, elbows by the side, head balanced as comfortably as possible on the spine, tongue up against the back of the top teeth, and finger and thumb very, very gently connected. What we're doing is noticing the breath. As we're breathing in and out, breathing in normally, breathing out, we're noticing the sensation of the eyes and the eyebrows and the cheeks. So we're aware of the breath, we're just focusing our attention on the eyebrows, the eyes and the cheeks. Gently relaxing them on the out-breath. Finger and thumb as loosely connected as possible. So you'll be able to put a cigarette paper between them. Tongue against the back of the top teeth, breathing out. Gently relaxing, letting the tension out of your eyes. This is incremental relaxation. Relaxing tiny bit by tiny bit by tiny bit. Breathing in normally tongue against the back of the top teeth in contact with the sharp part of the bottom teeth breathing out relaxing the mouth and lips jaw and throat Thumb and forefinger still very, very softly in touch. Breathing in normally. Elbows by the side. Head balanced. Breathing out, relaxing the back and sides of the neck and the shoulders.
just letting the tension and tightness out. Breathing in normally, finger and thumb very gently in contact, breathing out, relaxing the hands. And notice how your finger and thumb being in contact has already relaxed your hands. So it's easier now. As you're breathing out, gently letting whatever tightness and tension, pressure and stress there is, just letting it out of your hands on the out breath. Breathing in, breathe into the top of your head and then breathing out, starting at the top of your head on a long relaxing out breath, relaxing the eyes, jaw, shoulders, down to the tips of your finger, down through your feet and into the floor. Breathing into the top of the head and then breathing out like a wave of relaxation moving down the body, down to the tips of your fingers, down through your feet and into the floor. Relaxing on the out breath. And now for another mantra. And carry on relaxing. Relaxing the entire body. All on the out breath, that's when the body's in relaxation mode. Breathing in, it's in stress mode. Relaxing from the top of your head, down to the tips of your fingers, down to your toes. And then on the first out breath, you say in your mind, may I be well. Second out breath. May I be happy. Third out breath. May I find peace of mind. May I be well. May I be happy. May I find peace of mind. You're just repeating that. Noticing the cycle of the breath, cleansing the body. Clean, fresh air. Breathing out, moving down through the body, relaxing, relaxing, relaxing. As you repeat the mantra, may I be well. May I be happy. May I find peace of mind on three successive out-breaths. And then start again repeating it. May I be well. May I be happy. May I find peace of mind.
it's mood elevation at first. At first, it's a neutralizing experience. If you've got unsatisfactoriness, then that is an elevation. You've moved from feeling unsatisfactory to feeling neutral. I be well, may I be happy, may I find peace of mind. Breathing in, noticing what you can smell and taste and the sensation of sitting and in your very own time. Gently return your attention to the room. Okay, so the mind the body, the emotions, they're all connected. The mind is like an empty space in which you observe them. When the mind is unclear, it's as if we've taken a glass and and filled it up with water with sediment in it from a river. And you shake it and you can't see anything. And you put the glass down and leave it and the sediment drifts down to the bottom and you see, you experience clarity and what clarity is is the capacity to witness your experience without the intervention of the modern mind so the sounds you hear are sounds it's like a hubbub the thoughts arise and they're words and my words are just another word and so from there you're then able to connect to the body so you're connecting to the present moment the mind the body and the body is the sensory receptor it's learning how cold or hot the air is or how comfortable or uncomfortable the chair or the yoga mat is or how noisy the passing helicopter is. It's constantly bringing the experience of the present moment to you. And we intervene in that. And that intervention causes suffering to arise. So the the purpose of the suffering is to identify what's intervening between your awareness of the present moment and the present moment itself. We're adding something to it. Thoughts, emotions from the day, baggage, expectation. When we see something, we don't see the thing we're looking at. We see layers upon layers upon layers of 
good and bad and right and wrong and useful or not useful or um, luxurious or ugly or, or new or old. And then so the mind just becomes an instrument for judging everything. We no longer experience the present moment as it is. So this is what the design of meditation is. The design of meditation is to give you clarity of experience. So you can see what's absolutely real. And what's absolutely real is what every other human being in the world, no matter what their cultural perspective, would see from something. And then everything that you add to it. You need to notice yourself adding or taking away from your experience. And often it's taken away. This is not good enough. And so the, the neutral present moment becomes not good enough, so we need to reconnect to it. So the self-compassion meditation, which is the mantra I was teaching, that gets resistance. And it gets resistance because we see it as an absolute. This is a very common thing, thing called black and white thinking. You're either ridiculously selfish, doing everything you can for yourself to the exclusion of everybody else, or you're doing everything and living your life through other people. And it's noble in our culture to do things for other people, and it's perceived as selfish doing things for yourself. So we've got this false dichotomy. Now, the way that the self-compassion meditation works is incredibly subtly. At first it's just words, it might just be words, although you might notice an emotional response to it as you resist the concept that you can wish yourself well and wish yourself happiness and wish yourself peace of mind. But look at why you're wishing yourself peace of mind. It's because you want that clarity. And no matter what you do and who you do it with, doing it from a place of clarity is infinitely better for everybody. So if you can dispense with all of the expectations and beliefs and thoughts and desires and wants and needs and actually see what's left when you've stripped away all of the cultural engineering then you're in a better position to make a choice. And this is where choices arise. They pop into our awareness. This meditation, the self-compassion meditation, it's a mindfulness meditation. If our mind wanders, we notice when we go back. It holds in it the softest possible way of bringing to our awareness that we can be happy. And then over time, it becomes an incredibly powerful thing in our lives, a little bit like the three good things for the people whose lives it changes. Because what happens, the resistance that they experience, is they tick off the things that they can feel grateful for 
I'm grateful for my kids, I'm grateful for my parents, for my family, for my house, for my car, for my job. I'm grateful for my, my neighbours and I'm grateful for my friends. Da, 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 and they run out. Okay. The universe, for our perspective, is infinite. So what that means is there's like ten things to be grateful for and none of the rest. The infinity of the universe. The, the beauty of the stars comes under the heading holiday if you live in a city. But actually they're there every night and you can fi- if you see one star you can experience it the same way that you can lying on the top of a hill looking up at the Milky Way. It's, it's the, essentially the same thing. But we do, we do the comparison. Oh, there's the Milky Way, lots and lots of stars right the way across the sky. Doesn't it make us feel small? There's a tiny little dot in the sky. It just gets dismissed. It's not good enough. I've had the Milky Way experience. I don't want the star. <laughs> so it all goes in the bin. So doing those three things and doing the self-compassion meditation, subtly, 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 helps us to recognise what we can be grateful for. And the place to look is in the present moment. Because the present moment's infinite. It has more information in it than you can possibly absorb. You're just just picking out tiny, tiny little things as you look around you and perceive incredible amount of information. When it actually gets to the visual cortex, it's amazing how little there is. And somehow or another, we navigate our reality in it. But if we calm and clear our mind, then we're able to let all of the experience of the present moment in it. It rebalances the scales. Because the scales are pushing down on our neutral present moment experience. Our culture does it and we do it and the way that we perceive the world to be. And what we want to do is rebalance it. We want to elevate the experience of the present moment. And so if you look for that in all of the meditations, look for the present moment in the next sound. the sound of the bell and there's the purity and clarity of it you never get this second second chance to have this present moment so if you want to get yourselves comfortable This helps us to be aware of what intervenes in the satisfactoriness of the present moment that stops it being sufficient to fulfil us. And so if you're noticing your breath and noticing yourself sitting and the sensation of being here right now, And bring to mind 
something or someone, some place, experience, whatever it happens to be, that lifts your spirits. If that's a difficult thing for you now, look in the past. Find the peak experience. Whatever it is, or whatever it was, that brings you the most joy, that brings you a warm feeling. And there's a being associated with that. Could be a human being, could be a creature, could be a pet. I give it a name, which is, that's the symbol of our gratitude. That being that's associated with the experience that brings us the most warmth, the most joy. And we say in our mind, to this, this is what we call the good person, but like I said, it can be a creature. May they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. Many of us find this possible to, to elevate our mood by holding in mind that being that brings you the most joy, the most warmth, the most happiness, or has done, or is associated with the experience that brought it to you. May they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. And so now bring to mind a neutral person. neutral person is somebody whose name you don't know but who you can bring to mind. You might be able to visualise their face or just the sense of who they are. Could be a neighbour, could be an acquaintance, could be a co-worker, could be somebody that works in a shop, bus driver, somebody you bump into, whatever it happens to be and you haven't formed an opinion of them, whether you like them or dislike them. And you say in your mind, may they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind. This is for the neutral person. May they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind. And now you bring to mind a difficult person Initially, not your arch enemy. Initially, begin baby steps. Somebody who's done something unhelpful, thoughtless, inconsiderate, whatever it happens to be. Living in a city of 8 million people, it's not difficult to bring someone to mind as a rule. And you say in your mind, may they be well, May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. If you can do this for someone who's offended you, it's a wonderful way of releasing that. May they be well. May they be happy. May they find peace of mind. 
and now bring to mind your image of yourself, however you see yourself. Image in the mirror, however you see yourself as other people see you, whatever you look like in your favourite selfie, none of it matters, however you see yourself. You say in your mind, may I be well, may I be happy, may I find peace of mind. And again, bring to mind the good person or the being that brings you joy and warmth and happiness. And say in your mind, may they be well, may they be happy, may they find peace of mind. Noticing the sensation of sitting and breathing and gently return your attention to the room. Clarity is the capacity to see what's intervening between you and your happiness. Happiness is a sense of fulfilment from the neutral present moment. So what we've done here is we've brought in the neutral person and they are a metaphor. They're a metaphor for most of the people that you'll encounter in your life, are neutral people. Jump on the bus, drive down the road, it's full of neutral people. You neither like them or dislike them. Notice what's happening what emotions it brings when you wish them well. What it's doing is it's letting you know if your fellow man is intervening between you and your happiness, how you perceive them. And then the same thing with a difficult person. When you do the mantra for the difficult person, what's happening? Is your mood elevated or is your mood depressed? What's your body telling you? It's not lying. And then similarly with yourself. And the first time I did this, I, I, I thought, yeah, I'm doing really well here. I'm feeling these positive vibes towards difficult people. And I came to myself, nothing. In fact, less than nothing. I had an unhelpful perspective of myself. And all it is is guidance. Anything unsatisfactory in your life, I mean, you know, obviously, if you fall down the stairs, right, it's unsatisfactory, okay? But if you're carrying with you the resentment about how the stairs are laid out, that's you. And it feels bad, it's telling you something. We try to be too smart about our experience, especially emotions. If there's a suffering, an emotion that's following you around, it's trying to tell you something. The thing it's telling you is that how you perceive it, or the thing that's related to it, is intervening between you and your happiness. And the answer is to ask, is it 
absolutely true? Is it absolutely true that the stairs are unsatisfactorily laid out? And if that doesn't work, there's a supplementary question, which is even if it is absolutely true, does it really matter? Is it true? Does it matter? A lot less matters than we think matters. Start with the baby stuff, the little things. Observe them. Notice your body responding to the resentment, the frustration, the irritation, the unsatisfactoriness, whatever it might happen to be. It's a message. How true is it? Whatever it is that you believe that's causing you to feel like that, and even if it is true, does it really matter? Is it more important than you being happy right now? The answer is going to come back no, pretty, pretty consistently. There will be some things, and those things, they're there for you to learn that they're the things that you need to change about yourself and about what you're doing. Never about anybody else. You can't change anyone else. You can only change yourself. But before we get there, there's a mountain of unsatisfactoriness that we need to extract the goodness from, get the, the beauty and the infinite variety of the present moment from. Okay. So that, in a nutshell, is gratitude.